0: Face in the crowd. Hi folks, this is Jack spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times to get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode four, 570, 570, and we have an interview today, we're kind of on an interview blitz this month, uh, to get a bunch of stuff in before Christmas with uh, different people to bring in for different perspectives, as we get ready to close out the year, I want a lot on your mind, as you make your plans for 2011, so today, I brought in... Um, a gentleman I got to meet through one of our sponsors, Marjorie, with Backyard Food Production, who, by the way, Marjorie will be on the show tomorrow because I'm interviewing her this afternoon. Marjorie, of course, again, with Backyard Food Production. Sam Kaufman, who we have today, he is the founder of a company called The Human Path, and he's a survival trainer uh, focused on everything from primitive skills to rebuilding in an aftermath. And everything in between Green Living, Permaculture, one of the most unique people I've met. He's put together a really great cadre of trainers, and uh, I think his school is just awesome. So I'm going to have him on. And when I first met him, he was actually teaching uh, a class on feeding yourself from the wild with wild trap, with uh, traps, you know, primitive traps, figure fours and deadfalls and things like that. And uh, thought he was a great trainer. So, you know, a year later when I heard from him, he said, "Hey, I've got this school kind of built up now. Uh, I'd like to come on your show." I was like, "Man, I'd love to have you on the show." So he'll be with us in just a minute. Before we bring Sam on from the Human Path, uh, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one: let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one. One Today Emergency Essentials. Hey, man, you know what? If you do not get Emergency Essentials catalog, get on over to their site today and do a catalog request. It's free. It takes a couple minutes. You fill out a form, and you hit submit. And then they send you a catalog a couple times a year. Their catalog is like... I don't know, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to like to get the Sportsman's Guide catalog and Cabela's and go through it. There's a prepper, man, I lo- and I still like those catalogs, but there's a prepper. The Emergency Essentials catalog is the closest thing that you can get to, like, if you're a fisherman looking through the Cabela's catalog. It's got all the stuff, and it's really cool. And they have just this great assortment uh, especially when it comes to long-term storage foods, check out Emergency Essentials, Mountain House, Providing Pantry, you name it, they got it, long-term storage grains, all kinds of great stuff. Again, check out Emergency Essentials, and you can find, of course, their banner at the SurvivalPodcast.com. Next up today is uh, BulkAmmo.com, another one of our new sponsors. Bulk ammo is awesome because for the, you know, the majority of the, the common calibers, as they call them, the 9mm, the forty five two two three stuff like that, they have some of the best deals I've ever seen in my life. Uh, when I heard they wanted to be a sponsor, I was like, man, I hope when we research them, nothing negative comes up. Because I look at it, the product and the pricing alone was just like, this is a great company to have for my audience. And we didn't have an ammo supplier. Uh, and thankfully when we had them kind of just ripped to shreds by the moderators, they found no negative at all on them, and they passed their kind of review process we put sponsors through with flying colors. And since then, they've proven themselves. They've run contests. They've given away ammo to, uh, audience members. I bought a thousand rounds of 223 from them. They shipped it to my house. It was here four days after I ordered it with no special shipping. A couple ammo cans I got with it. I mean, it was just a great deal. Check out com. Good sponsor, good supporter of the show, and great deals. What more could you ask for? Uh, next up, remember to check out our gear shop. we got all kinds of cool stuff. Um, I'll tell you what, the the AOC's Copper, we're doing 10,000 of those in the first run. We've sold half of those. I I am blown away by the response to the AOC's Copper. They probably will not ship till January, somewhere around the first part of the month. Uh, They are in production now. Um, But if you want some, you you may have to get some before they even show up. I mean, I don't know how much inventory we're going to end up with on the other side of this. I was really scared to do 10,000 when Rob suggested it, but now... Now I see why I didn't really realize how big a hit these would be with you guys. Check out the gear shop. Definitely consider getting your hands on some AOC STSP copper rounds while they're available. Uh, we will be bringing them back in a second run, but it's how long is it going to take? So it's these are not going to be a limited edition one-time thing. But again, you know, again, how long does it take to get a second run in? All right. Uh, last but not least, <clears throat> I wanted to. Uh, Tell you guys something. I thought I just found out last night. I found out on Jamie, James Yeager's YouTube channel because he had an interview there with David Crawford, and I, I had no idea that this was this close. David Crawford has released in hard copy his fan fiction novel, Lights Out, um, which is probably one of the best prepper novels that I've ever read. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I'll tell you what, I like it a lot better than One Second After. I know a lot of you guys like that. It was available for years as a PDF download. <clears throat> And uh, I think it was downloaded like five million times. That says something about um, how much people really enjoyed the work that David did on that book. It's now been all cleaned up and edited and put together in a real book, and it's available on Amazon.com. I'll put a link in today's show notes. I, I blogged about it last night. Uh, but David's a good guy. He really is. And when, when I first started this show, he was very good to me. He was nice to me. And uh, we, we tried to work on a project together where I was going to do an audio version of that book, and it just wasn't in the cards. I didn't have the time to do it with everything else that was going on. So I'm glad to see him finally bring this thing to fruition. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, if you've read his electronic copy, and, and many of you have, you know, a guy does all that work, and now he actually has the ability to profit from it. This would be a great Christmas gift, but I'll tell you what, it would be a great thing to do just to support somebody that's done a lot for our community, is to go out, Get a copy of David Crawford's book. I found out it was available. I ordered it, then I blogged about it. I mean, the second I knew it was available, I ordered it. Um, I know some people are short on funds and all, and if that's you, don't go spend money you don't have. But if you're still spending money between now and Christmas, this would be a great book to give to anybody in your life that's either, you know, into like apocalyptic fiction or into survival and prepping and things like that. And one thing I want to say before I bring Sam on about this book, it is the most rational of these types of books I've ever read. It's not today is great, tomorrow the zombies are out. It is a slow spiral of humanity after the loss of the electrical grid, going from good to okay to bad to worse. Very realistic. All right, with that, let's go ahead and, uh, as I said, we have Sam Kaufman here today from the Human Path. Sam, thanks for joining us on the Survival Podcast today. Thanks for having me. Um, Sam, can you start out just because I mean most folks here didn't get to come down there and meet you, and maybe don't know you. Uh, who are you? How'd you get into this wilderness and primitive skills thing? How'd you end up being what you are today? Uh, yeah,
1: that's a good question, Jack. Thanks for for uh, asking it. It's it's um, something that's probably uh, has been uh, part of my life for the last twenty five years or so. Uh, in, in terms of trying to teach and trying to trying to kind of uh, organize uh, the information, the wealth of information, as you know, as probably all your listeners know, it's, um, it's there, there's just a, a humongous amount of information out there when you start getting interested in primitive living skills or wilderness skills, um, you know, everything from food to, to water to shelter to fire to security, you know, I mean, how do you break all that down? And so, um, as you know, I was in the uh, Special Forces for about six years. I was in the Army for about ten years, and four of those years were as a... Um, as a linguist, actually as an interrogator, but also as a linguist, a German linguist. And then the other uh, six were um, as a Special Forces medic. And uh, having been growing up kind of in the woods a lot uh, as a child with my parents and and our family and having an interest anyway in that, and then, of course, getting into it through um, through the military, um, you know, as a medic, I started realizing, you know, when we were out, in the woods a lot, uh, you know, what would we do if we couldn't drop in our medical supplies? What, what would we do if we couldn't hike them in on our backs? You know, what, what do we do then? And that was when I first started kind of getting interested in, in, in certainly in plant uh, medicine and uh, pharmacognosy and, and, you know, where our medicines really come from, where they really do come from, as we all know, you know, and and the reason that pharmaceutical companies spend billions each year trying to, to uncover and, and find new medicines um, because they come from the plant world. And so that interested me a lot in herbology. And the study of, of plant medicine, and then um, you know from there, I just kind of uh, you know I taught a lot for the for the special forces as well. I taught a lot of uh, you know wilderness survival type stuff, um, and, and a lot of um, uh, other stuff too. But but you know it kind of pertains to it. small unit tactics and such as well. But anyway, over the period of of uh, you know probably about fifteen or twenty years, I kind of spent a lot of time trying to organize this information in my own head. And so um, you know how do you how do you go about? breaking down information into small, digestible uh, kind of, uh, you know, structures that people can learn and learn quickly and remember quickly. And so that's kind of what this is all
0: about. Very cool. And one of the things I really dig about what you're doing, your, your, your company's called, your school's called the human path. Um, and I talk a lot on the show about, you know, being what you really are, a human being. What do you, what do you? What was the kind of the, the impetus, the, the, the uh, what is the word I'm looking for, the inspiration uh, to use that as kind of your brand and, and the name of what you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that goes. That's a huge can of worms, and, and I'm, uh, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, you could probably talk for hours about. But you know, what does it really mean to be a human being? I mean, wh- what are we as a species? First of all, really, where that all came from was the fact that if we look around us, and and uh, you know, part of what your show is probably about too, and certainly your listeners are, are in in tune with. Is the fact that we, you know, we really are on, um, you know, we, we are on the edge of kind of a, a possible, you know, precipice of of either disaster in terms of eco disaster or financial disaster or any number of things that that could send us kind of over the edge as a as a species or certainly as a society or as a group of societies around the planet. Um, whether or not that happens, that you know, remains to be seen. But the, but but irrespective of whether or not. You know, disaster ever strikes, either in small or large you know, <coughs> quantities. Uh, you know, still begs the question as to what are we really? You know, how did we get in this situation in the first place? And so, you know, I kind of we have the I have the motto uh, for my school, trying to be the best, you know, learning to be the best possible human in the worst possible circumstances, and, and that's a large part of it. You know, it's uh, you know a lot of people who study survival or, or into preparedness. You know, there's the whole the old uh, you know maxim of, of beans, bullets, and band-aids, and 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 that kind of a that kind of mentality for the short term, but but really, you know, if you wanted to be a survivor long term, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, is that really being a human? Is that really surviving to, to hole up in your bunker for the next two years and, and shoot people who you know who you think might be trying to take your your MREs away from you? I mean, that's not really the way I want to live as a human being. You know, honestly, I'd rather I'd rather check out than spend a life you know living that way. And so, I think it's important to um, teach people to. You know how to rebuild, how to be, uh, how to change, kind of how we live. And as they do that, whether whether it's because we're going to have a disaster or not. But as you start to teach people that, and, and your whole classes where where you're learning that kind of a mentality about really using our resources wisely and connecting to them, um, then it changes how you live right now. And if it can change how how you live right now, then you know maybe it, maybe it'll it'll have an effect. You know, hopefully. On, on who we are as a species and maybe our long-term survival uh, chances. And, and that's something that I think that there's really very little conversation or thought about is, is what are we as a species? I mean, you've probably heard the old um, uh, analogy of if you could take the entire history of the planet, I mean, literally from the, from the, you know, the moment that the planet was born and such up till, uh, up till now, and you could shrink that into one year, you know, and, and in that case, I think somewhere around November, you start in, in the November of the year. It started in January, and about November, you'd, you'd have um, you know life in the, in the seas and in, the, in the oceans. And about December to 15th or December 1st to 15th, about those two weeks, dinosaurs would have ruled the earth. And about three days before you know midnight of New Year's Eve is when humanity is when humans started to walk the planet, and the Industrial Revolution would be about three seconds before midnight. So I mean. If you think about that from those, that perspective, you know it's taken us three seconds of, to to use up the resources that were gathered over the previous that were created over that period of a year, one way or another. You know it doesn't matter what you believe as to where that where where that creation comes from, but just the fact that we, as a species, have just eaten our way through massive amounts of resources without any care and, and leaving huge amounts of waste and toxicity for our for our grandchildren behind. You know all of those things kind of go into. When I say, you know, what does it really mean to be a human being? I mean, the first question you really have to ask yourself is, you know, do we want to survive as a species
0: or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I'll tell you what, anybody that was wondering why why did I bring Sam on, on the show just got your answer. I mean, there's so much commonality there with the philosophy of the show and, and what we talk about every day. So you're among kindred spirits here, definitely. I also think that, to me, anyway, when I look at what you're doing and I, you talk about the human path, I look around and go, a lot of these problems and this misery that we have is because so many people are so far off of walking a, a true human path. It's not a human thing to use up everything that you need for yourself and for your children so that no one else has it. It's not a human thing to put ourselves into this position, and people don't recognize it because it's what everybody else is doing, they just kind of fall in line. But as soon as you break the cycle, and like when you go out and teach somebody how to make a fire from a primitive skill, it's it's not just learning the skill and the empowerment of learning the skill, but all of a sudden the concept of warmth. You have a, a... entirely new appreciation for being warm. Like, oh, right. this is what it really... So now that I'm burning that thimble of fossil fuel to keep myself warm, not whether it's evil or bad or anything to burn it, at least I have an appreciation from how much energy that really represents. And, and I think most of us have no idea. And, and that's, like you say, it's not being a human to do that.
1: Right. Right. And I, I call it kind of the false baseline, and, and what I mean by that is that we have a, we have this, you know, to be a little more blunt about it, what I call a mutually agreed, agreed upon hallucination that we call you know, <laughs> social reality around us, and, and it's what I call just a false baseline. I mean, that's the baseline that we're always at. So you get out of norm with that baseline one way or another, whether you're cold or you're hungry or whether you're. Um, Or whether you um, have a lot of stress at work, or maybe you um, you know you're not getting enough money and you wanted to buy extra presents for Christmas or whatever, and then you pull back into that baseline somewhere and you feel that comfort. And that baseline is so far off from really what we are as human beings. That baseline means that you've got a big screen TV and that you've got you know food that you warmed up in the microwave and as far as you know that food grew up in the you know inside of a styrofoam box somewhere, and you've got um, you've got literally at your fingertips, out of everything that you touch during the day, this is a good exercise, and this is what I mean by baseline, is that if you were to go through and you wrote down on a piece of paper everything that you interacted with or touched for the day, and then you took that list, you know, and let's say that's a 1,000 things, it probably would be somewhere in that number, and then out of that 1,000 things, you tried to figure out where those came from or how those were made, or if you had, if somebody said, okay, guess what, tomorrow you got to make all those 1,000 things. <laughs> what percentage do you think human beings could make? You know, I'm going to guess... Probably less than five maybe, percent. Maybe that's even way high. But you know, the, the fossil fuels we use for plastic, all the things that go into that, are, are this false baseline that don't have anything connected to what we really, what we really are. And, and if you take that one more step, you could say, okay, let's say the disaster hit today, and uh, whatever, a plague, and it wiped out 95 percent or 90 percent of humanity, and 10 percent of our population was spread o- spread over the globe. Now granted you know there there's some people that short- term would do would probably survive and, and the people to do that but I'm not talking necessarily about those people I'm talking about those people's grandchildren now in, mm-hmm. in 30 30 or 40 years from now or 50 years from now you know how many how much of that gunpowder is still going to work how much gasoline is still going to work you know no, nobody has any idea how to refine gasoline or to make a car or to make plastics and all of those things are completely separate as a baseline <coughs> from where you are when you like you said rub two sticks together to make fire that suddenly connects you to the actual element of heat and what that's really all about, not what we turned it into with this false baseline.
0: Man, I, I'm completely in sync with you there. Uh, you're training up until what you're, you're kind of moving to some new things in 2011 I want to talk about in a bit, but kind of just in line with everything we've been talking about, you've really focused on – primitive skills wilderness skills when i met you the first time down at marjories you were teaching us how to make figure four deadfall traps and some other traps so that if you you know if you ended up in a situation where you had to feed yourself whether it was a cotton rat or a you know a squirrel uh, you could get some some protein into your body and you focused on a lot of things like that um why did you start in that that place is it keeping in line with the stuff we've been talking about is there more to it yeah, um, that
1: that's really who I am. I mean, that's really what the human path is to me. And, and let me just to quickly explain kind of the concept. The concept is that we have what I call the core core concepts, or you know, a core structure, and around that um, we have a number of different kind of specialties. And this kind of goes back. I, what I've done is I've kind of taken, I've kind of merged the worlds of say special Forces team you know the concept of a team in Special Forces which was an engineer and a commo guy and a medic and a, a weapons guy and a, and a, um, a team lead and I've merged that kind of with maybe what you could say was Native American Scout like Apache Scout type uh, um, you know um, um, you know viewpoint or, or you know kind of kind of that connection and so um, the ideal is or the idea was to take some have core concept, a core concept of which for me was the primitive living skills, as you said. and then um, around that kind of have peripheral classes that supported that as well. So what I do is I have a core what I call the core basic. and now it's called the, the primitive core basic because we're going into urban stuff too. so there's just a primitive core basic and, and that covered five, five different areas basically, which was primitive engineering. And the second area was what I call the combat medic, which is both combat and medicine—really two heads of the same coin. Um, you know, in other words, how to help and how to hurt the body. Um, the third one is uh, what I call the hunter-gatherer, which is basically the you know the connection to our environment, to our earth. And the fourth one um, is what I call the scout or spy, which is basically a connection. Uh, you know, kind of the eyes and the ears of the team. And the fifth was leadership. So there's there's a, this core basic idea. And a person had to go through that, and or has to go through that. And and my um, experience and my love is certainly the wilderness and the woods, and so that's what the, what I'm all about. And so I have peripheral classes like herbology, which anyone can take. You know, anybody can take herbology level one, two, three, and, and so on. Anybody can take, and I have a tracking uh, classes. Anybody can take tracking one, two, three. Anybody can take my fitness classes, a combat fitness versus scout fitness, which includes things like kind of like parkour or, or you know moving through, but in the woods, you know, learning how to move fluidly and. Quietly through the woods and quickly um, over obstacles and that type of thing. So all of you know all of those things are all kind of peripheral classes that help that help a person who's into the core concepts get better at any of those areas. Well, then I met um, um, a guy by the name of Paul Range,
0: who uh,
1: and his uh, partner uh, Gloria Haswell, who uh, live on about 50 acres south of San Antonio, that is a um, uh, a, um, a completely off the grid. Uh, um, a completely off the grid uh environment that they've they've lived on and they've worked with for gosh, I think like twenty years. And Paul himself also has, you know, we're kind of similar in that respect because he's also uh ex Special Forces. Of course he's about a generation older than me and he was in Vietnam for several tours and such. So you know, really uh very, very knowledgeable person with a huge amount of experience behind him. Um and he he they do things that are more on the line of um of um Urban, uh, type of preparedness, you know. So, and then of course the homesteading and green homesteading, uh, living off the grid, you know, windmill, he's got his own windmill designs, he's got like three or four different that are specifically his, one that doesn't even require welding. So, so that's kind of his, his aspect and, and just seemed like such a natural fit to go ahead and take the primitive core basic and make a parallel track that's sort of the mirror image of it, but from an urban standpoint. And, and it's a little less, you know, primitive core basic's a little bit harder on the body, As you know, you, you gotta like being cold and hungry and wet outside and all that stuff. And it's maybe for a younger person. The urban core basics a little more. You know, it's more dealing with uh, different aspects of preparedness in your own backyard, in your own home, in a FEMA shelter. If it had to be, all those different things, and then moving out from there. And then his he has a set of uh, peripheral classes as well that are like the green homesteading, and eventually things like you know how to make, how do you build a forge? You know, how do you build a, a box bellows? How do you make uh, charcoal? How do you all
0: the, all those things that kind of go along with. Um, homesteading. Awesome, awesome. And you you do put a lot of emphasis when I looked at all your courses and all. You do a lot with herbology. Um, I, I get the vibe that that's a big thing for you. And I think that there's two ways to look at when because when we really look at it at its core. Herbology is the identification and knowledge of plant life. Right. You And a lot of wilderness trainers are going to teach you maybe the very basics of some medicinal things. That Rub this on poison ivy. But mostly what wilderness trainers do from an herbal standpoint is this is what you eat. This is how you stay alive, right? You brought the healing component into it. And that, that seems like it's a big deal for you. Is that part of your medic roots with special forces or is it just who you are or is it just because it's damn well important? We're all three.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's a little—it's a little of everything too in that regard. But definitely, I'm—I'm I'm always been interested in, in medicine. Very interested in medicine. I mean, I even got—I had kind of a midlife crisis when my son was getting ready to graduate high school. I thought, you know, I wanted to go to med school um, back when I first got out as a special forces medic. But I couldn't. My my kids were young. I couldn't drag them into that. There was just no way. That I can do it this time. So I went. I, you know, I kept my full time job, but I i uh was working across the street from a university so I could go to night school I got all my went back to school you know I already had a degree of course, but went back to school and got all all that stuff did my MCAT got into a bunch of different med schools, which is part of why I'm in San Antonio because I got accepted down here but you know six months into it, it was just so apparent that it was going to destroy and destroy my family I mean my daughter is still You know, she's a young teenager. She likes, she rides horses very well competitively. It takes money. My son still needs money for school. You know, all those things come in and it's just like, there's no way I can just put my life financially on hold. Anyway, that, that's kind of a sidetrack. But my point is that I've always really, really, uh, loved medicine. I've thought that that, that's just, I mean, it's just something that fascinates me, specifically trauma medicine. But, um, so that's part of it. But the second part is really that, you know, really not so much that, that, um, herbs are, or plants, I'm sorry, are not, uh, that it's not important to do food, food as well, because we certainly do that. I, I certainly teach plenty of that. But um, really, you know, even if you've eaten, you know, if you've, eat, if you've ever lived on wild foods, uh, you know, like that, and for me that's mostly in the Colorado area, since that's where I'm originally from. Um, the first time I started doing that, I noticed, you know, there was just an intense uh, difference between the effect of eating some wild food versus what I, you know, what I was used to eating and that effect was was just because those, those wild foods are so rich in nutrients, <clears throat> and not necessarily in calories now, but in but in nutrients. And so I started realizing, you know, really, and this is why I teach in herbology, is really, um, you know, herbs kind of span the spectrum from being what we what I kind of call power foods, where you get things like you know um, nettles and asparagus and such, all the way up to um, things that are toxic, and yet they're very they're very medicinal in small doses, or you know, what we would call poison. Um, so, you know, as you start to, to get into plants and, and work with plants a lot, you start to realize there's really, there's no plant that probably doesn't have some kind of a usage and relationship to the human body, especially in your own, you know, biome, in your own biosphere, in your own kind of a microclimate, wherever you find yourself living. If you've lived there for long enough, and, you know, I really think that, that you find that there are, there are uses for um, every plant out there, you know, in, in some way or another, and there's some effect. So whether that is food or whether that's medicine, it's really, in a sense, you know, food is medicine. It's Correct. It obviously keeps you alive. So.
0: I'd like to hear just kind of a little aside here, but just from your background, I'd like to get your take on this because you deep into herbology, some medical training at a military level, some medical schooling. I heard, I think it's Andrew Weil, who's one of my real idols in the alternative medicine sphere, say one time, the, the important thing that people understand is every single drug, whether it comes from a plant or from a pharmacy, is a toxin, and if you take enough of it, it will damage you or kill you, and we use that toxin in moderation to treat the body for specific reasons, which is, you know, people generally think of medicine as something that's that's naturally good for you, rather than it has a toxic effect, and what you're trying to do is treat the malady with the toxic effect at a level that the body can can, can handle.
1: Right, and that's exactly right. I mean, honestly, um, what medicine is all about to me is creating an environment in your body for it to be able to heal itself. I mean, that's really all it is. Absolutely. we are all walking around. Like right now, you and I probably have plenty of group A streptococcus bacteria in our Throats, you know. So why don't we have strep throat, you know? Mm -hmm. So you know, until you created the environment where your own immune system, for one reason or another, you're tired, you're hungry, you're sick, your your immune system compromised, um, allows that disease to happen. And so herbs are the way to be able to to rebalance that. And there's a lot of different ways to see that. You know, we we in the West we kind of in Western, I mean, by allopathic medicine, we tend to really see it as a cause-and-effect linear relationship. And, I, and I, the more that I study it and the more that I learned it, I realized it really isn't that at all. But there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, it's sort of like, you know, if you were standing on, the, on, a, on, the, on a line that drew a huge circle, like the circumference of a healthy earth, or, or, or smaller even, but just to where you it looked like a straight line to the horizon, you know, you're telling yourself this is a straight line when it's really part of a circle. And, and I mean, really, I think as you get more perspective, on plants as medicine, you realize that there is so much we don't understand about how our bodies work and function energetically and, and, on, and or whatever. I mean, that's a word that I'm just throwing out there that probably doesn't even describe it, but there's there's something way beyond what actually happens physically. I mean, nobody, not even the, the most experienced doctor in the world, you know, you find me one that can explain to us, how our bodies really heal themselves. I mean, really, how do they do it? Not, I'm not talking about that you can tell me the mechanics of blood clotting, you know, mechanism or mm-hmm. anything like that. I'm just saying, how is it that you cut your body and really, unless you have some kind of a congenital disorder, you know, uh, that, that your body is going to repair itself whether you try to stop it from that or not? And, you know, how does that happen? How is it that there is a, there is some sort of a, you know, there's something there that you cannot measure and, and even if you could, you know, our measuring tools really, you know, on a philosophical level, are nothing more than calibration devices for something we've already discovered through use of those measuring tools. I mean, we just kind of work in these little small steps of of discovering something new that we've supposedly measured, you know, so that we can create more measuring tools to measure <laughs> that. And
0: yeah, I, a whole I'm completely in sync with you there. I don't remember where I heard this, but I, it was some level of a debate between uh, a, a, a naturopathic practitioner and a, an allopathic practitioner, And what the the, the natural person said was, you can say whatever you want about, you're talking about like the ability of an arm, a cut to heal. And, And exactly what this person said was to the effect of, if I take and I cut my arm, there's things that we can do with medicine, whether from my world or your world, that will speed or impede that healing, but it will heal. If we take a dead person and slice their arm, you can give it every antibiotic You can stitch it, you can do anything you want, but when the life force is gone, that wound will absolutely never heal, and there's nothing science can do to change that. And that force is what you're talking about has to be placed in balance. Right. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. So let's let's kind of talk about this urban thing because I was like really excited to see you guys bringing that out. You've got this new thing called, and you've been doing parts of it, but it seems like you have really took it to another level. Coming in early 2011, urban core, and it goes into a lot of great stuff. Can you tell us about the urban core? And what what what's the the long range goal for that?
1: Yeah. So the urban core basic is uh, is a new development. We're going to start that in January, uh, and it's a three. Weekend series. Basically, it's, it's mirrored to the primitive core basic. So each one of the, the what I call the core basic is basically like it says it's sort of the basic. So you can think of it as basic training and such over a series of different uh, you know pieces of information and, and practice and skills. Um, each one, the, the primitive and the urban both are approximately 48 class hours in length. The primitive I do I, I do it in three-day weekends. So it's the like people usually get there on Thursday night. We start early Friday morning, go until Sunday afternoon. The, the primitive, or the, I'm sorry, the urban one, the new one that we're doing, the urban core Basics, is going to be two-day weekends. So people get there, you know, they can camp out on Friday night. They we start in on Saturday morning, and it goes all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Um, this is uh, run by Paul uh, Range uh, and Gloria Haswell, who I mentioned earlier, and they are um, they have a really really cool. Um, series set up on this in the sense that they're kind of taking everything that I had done, which I didn't really mention this before, and, and I, this isn't a sidetrack, but just, just to kind of um, you know complement what I said before, um, all the training that we try to do is scenario-based training. And the scenario basically is a, a disaster or, or a post-Shit-Hit-the-Fan, you know, um, apocalyptic type situation. And the reason I do that is because that increases... How people learn it increases the amount that they are able to digest. It increases the the amount of time that they remember things when they've got a scenario around it. Now, in the basic core classes, you know, it's very kinder, gentler kind of thing. But as they move up in level, it goes, it gets much more uh, intense. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that that, that happens that's more that they're going to remember
0: probably a lot longer it's very 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 much from the military then because I know whenever we would go out for an FTX field training exercise uh, act as an opposing force in any type of training we did they always gave us a scenario this is a group of you know whatever from this you know un- unnamed country somewhere in the middle east and and that way it made the training have a point so that's right you've, you've drawn from that that's really cool.
1: Yeah, very much so. When I even my first time in the military, when I was an interrogator, that was back in the day before SEER school was really a big deal. And it was—I um, mean, it was a big deal. But you could do SEER training on any base. So any any base that had a division or larger could do SEER training. And so you had a lot of infantry division type type places that were doing that, like Fort Carson did. And so um, what would happen was these interrogators, like myself, would we would we would plan this stuff out, and you would have like a you know a company of infantry men that were out in the woods for two weeks, and, and, you know, a lot of lack of sleep, hungry, you know, already a little bit confused and, and discombobulated, and then in the middle of the night, they get attacked, and they get um, captured, tied up, and all of us are speaking different languages. I mean, we're not even speaking the same language. Somebody might speak Russian, somebody speaking German. I mean, they don't even know. You know, most of them wouldn't, you know, w- there's very, very few that are multilingual enough to know that, but that's the whole scenario, and then they go through a SEER training, you know, so then they're in a, you know, in a situation where they're about, we spend about... A week of, of um, training and then and then kind of debriefing and, and teaching them how to how to deal with um, the situation that they've just been through at, at best and you know so anyway uh, yeah definitely drawing on that kind of a that kind of a scenario based op- opposing forces um, I'm going to actually probably have I, we've been using mostly ourselves our you know other instructors kind of my assistant instructors and and then other graduates we're gonna we've used a little bit too of the core basic as role players. But I'd actually like to start, especially for some of the higher level classes, start hiring even like acting intern type people to just, you know, play the role of whatever they're going to play and they're part of it. And so anyway, we, we, you know, we, we do a lot of skills. The core basic is probably about, you know, 10 to 20 percent of that role playing exercise and the rest of it is all just learning skills. It's just like drinking out of a fire hose of all these skills. But back to the core basic, uh, urban, the urban one is definitely, I think, Im- implements a little bit more scenario Along with those skills. So, for instance, the first weekend, we kind of started in the we started in the in the concept of a shelter. Then we move out to like the bug out, and then we move out to the community. So the 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 shelter is, you know, uh, for one reason or another, you ended up in a FEMA shelter. You know, whether you had to, whether you whether you didn't, you know, because you, you needed the food and you were just you had it was your only choice, whether it was a bad decision or whether you, you know, they made you or one reason or another you're there. What do you expect? What's going to happen? And so we have like a mock. FEMA exercise, you know, they're going to do everything from getting an ID card to having to, um, you know, having to take care of their own stuff. They're going to we have a little shower area set up. It's a very a very tight space for the number of people we'll have, I'm sure. It'll be uncomfortable. They're going to have to be around each other, you know, spending the night with other people who are snoring and farting and all the stuff that happens with, you know, a group of people that have to live together. Um, we'll have, you know, stuff uh, situations to where if they don't watch their stuff, you know, it's going to get stolen. And, and so that's sort of the, the shelter side. Then move out to okay. Now you're bug out. You're in bug out mode. Whatever for whatever reason, you, maybe it's from the FEMA shelter, maybe it's you know from your own home. Um, you know what is a bug out bag exactly, and how do you go about really packing? It? If you already have one and know that stuff, you bring it down and we critique it and we work with it. Then you're going to go out and you're going to live off that bug out bag, you know, for a night. And if you're if you're hauling about, you're going to have to walk first. You know, you're not going to just you know walk 100 yards. We're going to make you walk a bit. So if you walk, if you if you got a bunch of crap that you don't need and you're carrying 60 pounds on your back for five miles. Um, you know that's going to be very apparent. If you're freezing at night because you you know, you don't have any idea what you're taking for the, you know, what your bug-out bag has in it for to keep you warm, that's going to be a problem. They'll have skills up to that point, like they'll learn how to make a rocket stove and some of the different things that they can do. Um, of course, you know they're they're not just sent out without, um, you know, training. But the uh, the whole idea is to really kind of coalesce all that training into, you know, sort of an exercise. Then the final one is. Um, Okay, now you've got a group of people, which is certainly much more, you know, strength in numbers, right? And so, so whether it's a couple of families together or whatever it is, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, do a vehicle caravan? How do you, you know, kind of circle them up in the, you know, the, the, the old, um, western circle up the wagons type of, you know, defensive perimeters? What is that all about? You know, how do you go about, uh, picking a place and location that you're going to have to stop because you are going to have to stop? You know, all of the different stuff that would come with having to actually move a group of people from one place to another or, just how do you how do you organize your neighborhood? You know how would you really work that? Because you your house by itself is really almost an indefensible you know structure unless you build it as a fortress, of course. So so that all of that kind of winds into the core basic urban, and that's like I say three weekends spread over. There's one in January, one in March, or one in February and one in March. So three months in a row, three three different weekends. Part one, part two, part three, and they all build on each other. So you can't just jump into part two unless you've done part one. But they're gotcha. good forever. So if you take a part one now and you don't get to part two for three years, that's fine, you know, you can do it in three years.
0: Very cool, and one of the things that really kind of made me look at what you're doing and say, this is different, is that you have entire components built into this on, well, how do we put everything back together? How do we rebuild? Um, once the stuff's gone, not just how do we survive till tomorrow, but like he started saying in the beginning, how are our kids gonna survive a generation after, you know, let's just be blunt, the shit has really hit the fan. It's as bad or worse than we can imagine. That's occurred. Now we gotta put society back together. I've often been questioned, why am I so Optimistic that we would even do it, you know why? And my answer is because we're human beings. It's what we do. We build communities. If you take a hundred people and throw them onto, you know, or a thousand people and throw them onto an island, you come back in uh, two hundred years and you have Australia. Um, right. That's what we do. There would be there would be doctors, there would be teachers, but you've kind of taken it to well, let's let's have a plan for if it does happen, so we know where to start from. What what made you bring that in? and that's
1: sorry, that's uh, that's sort of a two part uh, answer to that. And one one part is, like you just said, you know, that's that's what we do. We're human beings, and that's what we do. So why not have a way to do that, that that's functional, that's simple, that's easy to remember, and that functions on all levels? And that's where I originally came up with the whole idea of specialties. These specialties are actually, are also, I, on an individual level, you could call them archetypes, you know, basically the, uh, of, of those five areas that I was talking about, when I was talking about primitive engineer and combat medic and so forth. On a team level, they're specialties. On a community level, they're areas of, they are basically subdividing an infrastructure out into areas that have to exist in order for a community to exist. And, and, and the mentality behind all of them is, is a you know a resource friendly and a, and a, re, a renewable type of attitude, and so the green uh, green homesteading uh, fits right into that that aspect of it, of course. <clears throat> but that's just really half of it. That's the half that says you know if we have to rebuild, how would we do it? Well, I mean, look at us. You know, we, we're a mess. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. The way to you know so so it's like why not do it right? And it's not that. You know, I'm not advocating that we go back and live in teepees or caves or anything like that. We have the technology, we have the knowledge, the ability, all of the things we need to literally live completely renewably on this planet. I mean, we have everything we need, so why aren't we doing it? You know. So that's the second part is, is as you started getting into green homesteading, I'm trying to create a blueprint to take you know Joe uh, Suburbanite into this green homesteading idea. It's like, okay, no, you don't have to go out and spend you know, $200,000 and build yourself a green home. Nobody has those kinds of, of means, but let's take it one thing at a time, you know. First of all, where does your water come from? Do you even know that? You know, do you have any, if you live in the San Antonio area here, you, you know, you do hear it a bit, so people at least understand that water comes from an aquifer, but out of the people, everybody here, if you asked everybody what is an aquifer, you might get 10% of people actually giving you a correct answer, and, and how does that work? And where does the water come from? When we flush the toilet, where does it go to? How does that all work? and then move to the next level, you know, especially in an area, again, like, like South Texas, where water is a very, you know, precious commodity, um, what are our other options? Well, hey, how about rainwater collection? Well, now that's starting to pull, you know, become mainstream now anyway, but how do you do it? Well, it's certainly very easy to teach that. It's very easy to do, and it's very cheap to do compared to, uh, you know, a lot of other things. So, I mean, so what people do usually when they hear the word, you know, going green, it's like the dollar signs start spinning in their, in their eyes, like, oh, my God, you know, I can't afford this. And so I'm trying to kind of create also a, a blueprint that's both interesting because people come out and they can build. You know, I mean, we go through everything from literally how do you pick the right piece of land, what are the legal implications, where uh, has a real estate license, you know, what, what's all that, and then how do you pick the place to build in that piece of land? You know, where do you build, why, how do you lay out a foundation, how do you lay out, you know, where you're gonna, what it's going to be, How do you? Uh, all the things that go into basically building. And then how do you pick what kind of green home you're going to build and we will build. We'll have, we're, we'll have a structure that's got, you know, it might have an earthship wall. It might have a rammed earth wall. It might have a hay bale wall. And a build, you know, all the different things we can do. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many, you know, so I'm not saying we're going to have every single thing, but we're going to have a wide variety of some of the most common um, types of green building structures so that people can actually, you know, get sweaty and have to do the work a little bit and see, oh, this is what it really involves to do this. And then they take away from that, hopefully, to their own home and, and, you know, in suburbia or in the city or wherever they're living. You know, oh, wow, you know, I realize now that I've seen how this is done, it is really, really easy for me to go ahead and install rainwater collection, or it's really easy for me to just install solar and 12-volt just for something simple, you know, something real simple, just a, a pump, you know, and I understand what, you know, I, I know how to make an aquaponics tank, you know, for a total of about 50 bucks,
0: mm-hmm. know, and, and, a,
1: and, a, and, a, and it can be solar-powered for another 20 bucks because I've done all of that. And so that's what we're trying, again, going back to that analogy I had about, you know, touching everything in your home for the day and, and, and being able to maybe describe about you know, 5% of it
0: just you know, trying to up that percent a little bit too. Absolutely. I'll tell you a couple things that you made me think of there when you're talking is one, the expense of doing a lot of these things. Some of them you can do on your own very primitively and we can see that because you'll say well it's expensive to do this or expensive to do that but you go to the, the parts of the world where the poorest people in the world live and they do it because they don't have a choice so if they can do it us with all our money and resources uh, we can do it. But the other side of it is, it it, it amazes me that we have people right now, in spite of everything that's happened, throwing money, you know, 10% or 15% or five, whatever it is, into that 401k every month. Throw it in there. Throw it in there. And they're going to retire half a million, three-quarters of a million dollars. that will probably buy, when they retire, what maybe $100,000 buys today because of inflation. And then they're going to draw from that to pay an electric bill. They're going to draw from that to pay a water bill where these things that seem expensive today, if we build that infrastructure for ourselves today, at that point, the value of that infrastructure is so much higher. And instead of having to draw from those things to provide your needs, you can do what you're supposed to do in your, you know, your retirement years, if you want to call them that, which for me is can be much younger if we do these things and buy what we want and have some type of quality of life instead of having enough to scrape by with what's left of social security, if that joke's even still around, and, and whatever we've managed to save for ourselves. Um, and then I think, you know, a big lesson here is we look at the cost of repairing like bridges and roads and, and all this infrastructure in the United States today. And you go, well, we built it in the 30s, why can't we just fix it today? Well, because the cost of infrastructure g- goes up with inflation like faster than anything else. So to do the same thing we did in 1950, we can't afford to do it today. And right. we're in a position as humans where if we'll build this infrastructure for ourselves today, I just feel like 20 years from now, you know, when you're leaving it to your your, 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 your kids or your grandkids or whatever, it's, you're going to look, damn, that was a cheap investment, really, when it comes down to it. So I, I love what you're doing there. Um, how can folks attend your classes? So how do they sign up or can they learn more, things like that?
1: The best way, really, to kind of to get to anything is just to go to my website, which is uh, thehumanpath.com, and all one word, no underscores or underlines or anything, just thehumanpath.com, and if you go there, um, you'll see there's a nav bar, of course, across the top, like any website, and I think there's one that's called Schedule or something like that, and you know, basically it's a, a drop-down, and you'll see a link to Calendar, and if you go to the Calendar, you'll see that each month, you know, shows, Shows a number of classes in there, and any given month has the class in there as a link. And all I got to do is click on that link. <clears throat> so, for instance, if there's a class coming up, the Core Basic, that'll be a link in whatever in the in a little box that says, this, you know, January 22nd. Then click on that. That'll take you to um, the, a place that you can sign up for the class. And and I'd use a, I use use just for my own organization and stuff. I use a site called Meetup.com. Which allows me to, you know, collect money. It allows me to send out emails. It allows me to do a lot of different stuff and keep and to have, you know, forum and and people that are like-minded are able to talk and stuff. So you got to sign up to meetup.com, which doesn't cost anything. There's no spam or anything like that. You just got to register, give your email, so that you know you have a way of being contacted, and then you can sign up for the class itself.
0: Yeah, meetups great. We have a lot of our folks that do like, you know, just a community get-togethers and all around the TSP philosophy that runs. So I think the audience is probably real familiar with it. Another thing I want to make sure I hit on with before you before we wrap up here, because um, this really intrigued me. One of your trainers is actually a certified permaculturist, and that's a huge topic around here. Is permaculture. And uh, you know what was the what was the big drive to bring that philosophy in, and, and how has that made what you're doing maybe different than the you know twenty other options a person has to uh, to get some training on some stuff like this?
1: Sure, and that's actually two of them are. It's Gloria and Paul both are. So oh, they're great. both are. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's um, you know that that's sort of a mixed bag simply because it's becoming so popular now that it's um, you know you can pretty much I don't know anywhere, but but certainly around San Antonio, Austin you're going to be able to find permaculture classes. Um, we're trying to, as usual, you know, of course, it, because I want to try to always be able to offer people more, give them more, give them more experience than, than anybody else can. And not because I'm trying to be competitive, although, you know, we all are, of course, that's part, part of life and certainly in business. But just because I want to, you know, I, I want to be able to say a year from now that the class, every class I'm doing is better than it was a year ago. You know, I always want to be improving because it gives back to the people, it gives back to the students, the people that are paying me to teach them. And and I love that interaction. I love teaching. So with permaculture, one thing we're going to do is um, we are actually going to build. Um, I've got a I have a 50 acre quarry that is that's is where I use for most of my classes. And out of that 50 acres, maybe 15 of it or so is actual quarry. And there's a pond on it. And there's you know there's some dugout. Of course you know dug, areas that are dug out. Um, maybe a a 10-acre spread that's completely dug out, maybe you know, 30 feet below the surface of the road that goes around the edge of it. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to definitely build. We're going to build uh, uh, terraces that move that work their way up to some of the you know some of the some of the the walls because some of those walls need support anyway. And we'll do uh, permaculture uh, terraces basically. And we'll do all kinds of different stuff. We'll pump, the, you know, from the pond going up. We'll pump uh, water up with windmill and do drip irrigation back down to a. Um, uh, you know, through that down to a um, a wetlands, a small wetlands area back into the pond. We'll do um, you know classes that are basically based around not just you know showing a PowerPoint slide. Although there, you know, there's that too. Of course, we have a classroom. We we do that too. There has to be lecture, but we actually do a lot more of the hands-on stuff where we're getting out there, getting people's hands dirty, be, being able to say, okay, this is what that actually looks like when you're done. The same idea with aquaponics, which is just wonderful. You know, you can build. You know great aquaponics stuff. Paul is an expert at that and and he's done some great aquaponics tanks. we'll do we'll do a couple out there. We'll do classes out there. and it's you know it's, it's uh, sort of a mixture of both the the permaculture and and uh, you know um, our renewable you know type gardening at, along with uh, of course, if you put fish in there having your your own meat source as well protein source
0: as well. Yeah, I think that's huge because I mean to me, the most effective method of home meat production, is going to be aquaponics. It's the great you get the greatest return because a fish can grow uh, convert biomass into meat far easier than a chicken or a rabbit because they're you know basically existing in uh, what comes out to be a net zero gravity environment. So it takes less energy to make a fish than to make you know the big fat gray squirrel that's sitting on my feet feeder looking at me through the window right now. He he has to eat a lot more black loaf, sunflower and acorn than a tilapia, I can feed a tilapia duckweed, I can grow the duckweed in my aquaponics system, and that's, that's almost insane that you can have, the closest thing in the world I've seen to a true closed loop system is aquaponics. Exactly, yeah, it's fascinating actually. So um, again, folks can find you at thehumanpath.com, and uh, I think folks, if you are, at, I'll tell you what, first of all, I've, I've worked with Sam directly, I've experienced his training directly, the guy's solid and knows his craft just beautifully. He's also put together something that I don't really know of any one source anywhere that you can get all of this under one roof. So that was a big part of why when he asked to come on the show, it's like, absolutely, let's get you on. So I think if you're in, in Texas or Oklahoma or general area, you're you're kind of nuts if you don't try to take advantage of this opportunity because some of his classes just flat out fill up, and they can only take so many students. They only have so many instructors. But I'll tell you that it, it's this is absolutely worth getting on an airplane for and traveling from another part of the country to be involved and to get some training from Sam at TheHumanPath.com, uh, the right?
1: TheHumanPath.com. And, and on that note, too, um, starting in uh, fall, about a year from now, we'll be doing, uh, I'm going to try to combine, not going to try to, I'm going to combine um, these weekend, some of the weekend classes, certainly the Urban Core Basic, uh, or, I'm sorry, the Primitive Core Basic into a full six-day Course, so that people who live way out of town and want to fly in can come in for one week.
0: Do the whole thing. Out.
1: It'll, yeah, it'd be a lot more
0: intense that way too. So, I think it'll be a really good thing to do that and to step into that. That would be awesome. That'd be something I'd be into because it's so hard for me to pull away. And I think there's a lot of people. It's not the cost. It's it's right. the time, right? And if I've got to travel, two days becomes four, and it'd be easier for me to do seven or eight days gone than. Four days gone four times. So that's that's really, I'm glad to see you're going to try to do that. Um, but definitely check it. And you've got a YouTube channel as well. Um, so people, I think, really should check out your YouTube channel. Some of your videos are pretty cool. Um, anything that we've left out you want to make sure folks know about? You got anything else going on I missed? Uh, you
1: know, I think one thing I did want to mention really quickly is that we, you know, we're really, I'm really big into fitness, functional fitness, of course. I mean everything that I'm trying to do. If you if you haven't figured that out already, you know, I'm pretty much kind of a pragmatist about it. I mean it's got to work. That goes from herbology and plants to anything. It's got to work, and it's got to you know, it's got to pass that litmus test of you know did it work? And so the same thing with fitness. You know I'm just I'm really trying to take fitness out of the realm of the uh, 24-hour you know closed yeah. our gyms and and put it into what really works. And so I'm I've I've gone a whole Number, a bunch of different ways on this. I started a thing called I called survival racing, and the idea was to really present a challenge for anybody um, anywhere around the world who, says, who said they had the skills to be able to come out and, and prove it, you know. Come out to a survival race, and it wouldn't just be a matter of running from, you know, it wouldn't be like an adventure race where it's just a matter of finding some points and running or biking or swimming to get there. It would be once you get there, you, there's, there's a skill station, you know. You've got to start a, a hand drill or a bow drill fire or whatever, identify some tracks or whatever it is, and based on how you do at that station would determine what your next uh, leg of the of the, of the journey would be, you know, in terms of distance and so forth. So, you know, that was my original idea. And now it's kind of all, you know, i really tried to, I think I got away from the skills and went more into the fitness side, and I'm trying to bring it all back down. So in April, we'll be starting um, uh, some combat fitness on every Tuesday and what I call scout fitness on every Thursday. And so we've got... Myself, uh, which my background is kind of more scanned up I was actually an amateur MMA fighter for a little while, but I've studied, you know, God, I don't know how many martial arts since I was 13, a lot of Chinese stuff, Wing Chun and such, um, that all the way through kind of what my love is, which is grappling and, and ground fighting, and then uh, we've got a really great Kali teacher who has about 30 years of experience as a, as a Kali instructor. So, you know, we've got kind of Filipino stick thing, stick and knife thing going on for For that, And then just basic fitness, you know, all kinds of different fitness, whether it's ground fitness or standing fitness and that. And then the scout fitness itself, which is really more about moving from point A to point B. So a lot of endurance, a lot of mountain biking type stuff, running. Eventually we probably get into some horseback riding. I've got obstacle courses that are natural obstacle courses set up with, um, you know, actual tree trunks, not just, you know, telephone poles and such. And, you know, running through that when you're at a higher level with somebody, you know, running behind you, shooting a paintball gun at you, you know, those types of things (laughs) are going on. So we've got all that
0: kind of stuff as well. So it's a lot of fun. That's that's very cool. And what about what about the person right now that you just turned off? That just went, wow, man, that's trying to keep up with these these special forces guys and stuff like that. You you actually you're 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 training from what I saw that can be really, really intense, but also, you know, I saw a lady, you know, run a few paces, pick up a rock and throw it, and run a few paces and pick up a rock and throw it on one of your videos. So the word you use is functional fitness, and there's a lot that comes in with that that's kind of brought to the level of the individual, and the more they do, the more they can do, right?
1: Exactly, and I try to really stress that, because you're right, you totally hit the nail on the head up. I get a lot of people that are are saying, Oh, God, I'd love to come out to that, but I just don't think I can. And and it's not what it's about at all. And and if you've been to my classes, you know that I'm all about making sure that every single... You know, first of all, we don't have big classes. The biggest class I can possibly teach by myself, you know, with even with some helpers, is 25. And and even that's really too big. But, you know, usually they range between 15 and 20 people. So you get a lot of individualized tension. And everybody walks away. I don't care if you've never... You know, if you don't even know what a, hardly even know what a mat, how to start a fire with a match, you're going to walk away and you will have set a Bodro fire. I, I guarantee you within about three hours, I will teach you how to do it and, and you'll get there. And so the same thing goes with fitness. I don't care if you've never, you know, you're a couch potato and you've never <laughs> walked over a block in your life. All I care about is that you come there with the right attitude and the motivation that you want to work your body, uh, you know, to the extent that
0: you're able to do it. And the rest, I'll take care of. You know, it's my job. You know, there's something I want to ask you about get your thoughts on that. I've, I've talked to quite a, a few other trainers I've had on the show that, that also have military backgrounds, and I've noticed in commonality, I know Ron, Ron Hood does this, Dave Canterbury does this, you're doing this. When When I look at military people and they come into the civilian world, and I don't care if they're teaching someone how to fix a car or survive in the woods or handle financial transactions. The thing that I think makes military-style training the best in the world is it's broken down into blocks and components in a different way than general academic settings. it's, It's designed to be we take this block and we teach it to you to a point where you almost can't forget it. And then when I give you another block, you now can put the two together and do more than the sum of the parts of either one. Has there been a lot of that military background beyond, you know, they taught you how to do some of this stuff in the military, but the format, has that come a lot from your military background?
1: Yeah, I'd have to admit it probably does, and more so even in
0: the content.
1: I mean, honestly, you know, in all honesty, when I went into Special Forces, you know, the survival training did nothing for me, not even close. I mean, it it, was... You're not the
0: only one we've had on here that said that, that, that has that kind of background. Okay,
1: then and I'm, and I'm probably teaching to the choir, and you know, because I don't mean to say that it's bad at all. It's great training, but it's just you know, it's way beyond it. And the same with with hand to hand and combat. I mean, i did do doing martial arts for I don't know, probably 15 years before I went in. You know, the SF, and it was just it was it was so basic and, and nothing. So I'm, I, my point is not so much the content, but definitely, absolutely the structure. I totally agree with you. I mean, I went to language school. Now granted, I was, I was really into language, and I, and I would say that's one of my talents, is, is foreign languages. You know, I took Latin and Russian and Spanish in, in high school, and I loved it. And I went into the, to the military as an interrogator in order to be able to get to language school. So I went to a language school, and in eight months, you know, they taught me from not speaking a word of German, you know, to, 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 in eight months, I was, I would say, uh, conversationally fluent. And, and that gave me enough that once I went over there, and of course, I had, a, I lucked out, at my age especially, I was just a kid. And I ended up living, you know, on the border. Back then, it was an east-west German border. In a, in a civilian clothes, civilian car, and and lived with my civilian girlfriend. And I spoke maybe, you know, I spoke 90% German for three years. And within a year and a half of being over there, you, you know, if you knew, if you could talk to me, and you didn't know me, and you knew that I was. And you found out during our conversation I was American from me speaking. It was a bad day for me. I mean, I would go home and I'd be like, oh, my
0: God. I messed I got up, a, right? I yeah. Got to
1: practice. yeah, I messed up. So, I mean, I, I was very much fluent within about a year and a half. And that, I owe that all to the military, the way they broke that down. And it's the same, certainly, with Special Forces. Yeah. The medic school, Special Forces medic school. is just, I mean, it's a year of drinking out of a fire hose, but it's the best
0: training I think I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I mean, some of the survival training, the reason I think that you have to modify the content for the civilian isn't that it's not effective it's that it has a different purpose if you're if you're a military person and you're behind enemy lines your goal you know first goal is to not be seen right you don't want to get caught right and your second goal is to get the heck back to where you came from your third goal is to do those two things as quickly and expediently as possible uh... where a civilian in a survival situation may be wanting to make as much noise and and be as visible as they possibly can to get found um, and that person is more concerned with living while they're there than just getting the hell out of Dodge so it's uh, it, it's two different worlds and you have to bring the two together and it looks like you've done a beautiful job of that so again folks, uh, Sam's website thehumanpath.com can't recommend you check it out highly enough and uh, Sam, thanks for being here today one more time, but we tried to do this before and we ended up the ten minutes in but we can go as long as we want is there anything else we've left out? <laughs> better not Every time I open
1: up my mouth, it'll be another 10 minutes. I tell you, I can talk all day. But no, that's, that's great. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. I love your I love your, your, um, your website and, and your podcast especially a lot, too.
0: I think you're doing a great thing, and it's really a privilege, and I'm flattered to be been able to be on your show. Well, hey, don't worry about talking too much here, because I guarantee you we're going to want to have you back again. I think we can take any one of these subjects and, and have you on just as a subject matter expert on it and go into it deeper. So we'll probably want to do that in the future if you'll be game for it. Oh, that'd be great. Anytime, any subject, that would be awesome. Great, Sam. Well, again, folks, with that, I will go ahead and wrap up. Remember, check out humanpath.com. And this has been Jack Spirito, today with Sam, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know Revolution.